It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 326 for January 20th, 2013. This week, a change from Facebook promotes finding. Tablets are the answer to exactly what question? And in short circuits, yes, you definitely need that Java update. Maybe. Accused of running down a donkey, Google responds, and GM plans to return to Facebook. Facebook is an outstanding resource when you want to share something, but when it comes to finding something, Facebook hasn't had a robust tool. This week there's a new feature that will help, but will probably also cause some privacy alarm bells to ring. CEO Mark Zuckerberg says that Facebook has spent more than a year to fine-tune a method that will allow users to search information posted by their friends and to specify filtering the results to include specific people, places, photos, or services. Some of the suggestions Zuckerberg offered about the new graph search capability involved looking for, for example, Mexican restaurants that friends like, or finding a dentist that your friends have written about. You may or may not see this new feature right now. Zuckerberg says that the graph search will be made available to several thousand users immediately, and then rolled out to all users gradually. No specific dates were stated or even alluded to. Graph search will certainly show up in big, bright red on Google's radar. Google likes to think of itself as the, with a capital T, search company, despite the presence of Yahoo, Bing, and other search engines that might be popular elsewhere in the world. Graph search has a feature that Facebook will be able to monetize easily, and that makes it a direct threat to Google. Just about everyone uses the Internet to obtain suggestions, and Zuckerberg says that it seems reasonable for people to prefer recommendations from friends. Even so, a search within Facebook for, oh, say, for example, Macedonian restaurants in Toledo might not turn up a lot of recommendations from your friends. If that happens, Facebook's graph search will hand the query over to Bing, Microsoft's search engine. That's not going to sit too well with Google either. Graph search will review pictures, likes, and check-ins. At this time, it will not review users' status updates. And apparently trying to get ahead of privacy concerns, Zuckerberg noted that users will have complete control over what others see. In fact, Facebook announced upcoming changes last December and encouraged people to review their privacy settings back then. Most people probably didn't. Also in the not available category, any photos posted on Instagram. Instagram has seen its own share of user problems in recent weeks, and leaving it out right now is probably a really good decision. Whether you currently have the graph search function or not in Facebook, now is probably a good time to look at what your Facebook privacy settings are. First and foremost, consider this. If you have private information that you want only a few people to see, 
That information doesn't belong on Facebook. Anywhere. Anything posted to any site on the Internet should simply be assumed to be public. Facebook is intended for use by people who want to share information, not hide it. So, assuming you're one of the crowd of people who have information to share on Facebook, there are still some tweaks that you should consider to protect personal information. Start by setting your default preferences to share with friends only. You can then modify individual items when you post them by clicking the icon below the post and selecting the distribution for that one item. This eliminates the problem that occurs if you intend to share something with just your friends, but you forget your default setting is public. Oops. Next, review your list of likes. GraphSearch will use all of your likes to make recommendations. And if you accidentally liked something, or you liked something that you no longer like, get rid of it. The same is true of photos, all of them. Graph Search will use your photos and the text associated with them. This also includes photos by others that you've been tagged in. Now, getting there is half the fun with this one. Click the lock icon in the upper right-hand corner, then select who can see my stuff, and next, where can I review all of my posts and things I'm tagged in? The activity log will open. Select the Photos tab. All right, you're finally there. Now you can determine whether your photos will be public or private. And there is this final step. Make a list of your friends and check it twice to make sure who's naughty and who's nice. Oh, wait, that's another story. Uh, this is going to be time-consuming for most Facebook users. Create various lists, family, close friends, co-workers, and such. Each list you make can have specific permissions. You might even create more than one list for family members, maybe one for those who see everything you post, and the other one for the things that you post that you may not want your parents to know about, even if they're 75 and you're 40. If you'd like to see your timeline as others see your timeline, go back to that little lock icon and select Who Can See My Stuff? Then click What Do Other People See on My Timeline? The timeline view will show you what others see. You might be surprised. tablet, and I like it. But many people are asking about tablets. They're the answer to what question? In this week's eWeek, Don Reisinger dared to suggest, dared to suggest, 10 reasons why a tablet might be a better choice than a notebook. Response was immediate and ugly. One poster who didn't even bother reading the article still felt qualified to ravage it, and others piled on. Sometimes the internet reminds me of recess time at an unruly kindergarten. Now, I don't agree with all of Don's points, but several of them are valid. In addition, I don't plan to abandon my desktop computer or my notebook computers anytime soon. But I'm happy that I decided to buy an Android tablet. I'm even happier that I picked up a Windows 8 tablet. The Android tablet provided a good introduction to touchscreen operations, and the Windows 8 tablet gives me the tools I need to check email on the go, retrieve data from OneNote, and use web-based applications. The lack of a keyboard limits the tablet's capabilities. But, but wait, my tablet does have a separate keyboard. 
The tablet fits in a case that I usually have with me, too, and none of my notebook computers, except maybe for the netbook, would do that. The tablet is also lighter even than the notebook. You'll find a link to Don Reisinger's article on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Both of the primary research firms that study the use of computers, Gartner and IDC, have noted recently that fewer PCs are being sold. Meanwhile, tablet sales are up, way up. People who think seriously about what a tablet computer can do for them realize the advantages immediately. I'm not yet buying Reisinger's assessment that tablets are better than notebooks, but they're certainly handy. And despite what some of the people who posted comments on the article claim, they are not toys. Reisinger says, and I agree, that touchscreens are a plus. He says, many people have gotten acquainted with touchscreens on their smartphones. They found that touch displays make screen navigation in a mobile operating system much easier. Windows 8 brings these capabilities to Windows-based tablets, and I consider it to be a welcome addition. Even so, screen-only devices are at a disadvantage when it comes to typing. The on-screen soft keyboard just doesn't make it when compared to notebooks with real keyboards. Another advantage that Reisinger notes is price, but I'm not sure that's a valid point either. It's possible to buy a netbook computer for $300 to $500, but a tablet computer with enough features and power to be considered a replacement for even a modest netbook system would probably cost twice that. The advantage tablets bring is portability, and I'll get to that in a moment. The various app stores provided by manufacturers, Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft, might be a plus, but Microsoft's store is a weak third behind Apple and Amazon. Yes, there are several apps that you'll find useful, but if you're thinking about a tablet as a notebook replacement, well, it'd better be able to run Word, Excel, and things like that. The ability for a tablet to be connected continuously is definitely a plus, except maybe for the fact that my Asus tablet frequently disconnects, for reasons that are still apparently unknown to Asus. Most tablets offer 3G and 4G cellular connectivity. That means you'll always be connected, and you'll always be paying. As for me, I'll take applications that can work offline and opt for a Wi-Fi-only tablet. Reisinger cites mobility as a key advantage, and here I agree totally and absolutely. Mobility is a huge concern for many of today's technology customers, and once again, the tablets win here, he says. Tablets are easier to fit into a purse or a bag. They're lighter. They're much thinner than notebooks. In other words, they're easy to carry around. Notebooks are easier than ever to carry around, but they still can't match tablets in overall mobility. Security is a feature that Reisinger notes, but... I'd take that with a large package of sodium chloride. So far, he says, cyber criminals have not been able to put a significant dent in mobile operating systems, making owning a tablet a bit more secure than opting for a notebook. This is false security at best. Believe me when I say that crooks are working on this, even as I speak. Reisinger cites several other advantages that tablets have. Vendor attention, he says, because the sales of tablets are high. Apple's best product is the iPad, he says, because the iPad is the clear leader in tablets. A lack of breakthrough innovations in notebooks, he says, because notebooks all look and feel the same these days. And tablets aren't commoditized yet, he says, which means that you can find tablets with a variety of features. To my way of looking at things, those four final pluses are kind of a stretch. 
Nonetheless, I agree with the overall thrust of the article, and that is this. If you're thinking about buying a tablet computer, you're probably going to be pleasantly surprised by what it can do and what you can do with it. short circuits. Yes, you definitely need that Java update. Maybe. Unless, of course, you don't. Oracle has released a patch that fixes the worst of the bugs that came to light last week and resulted in a warning from the Department of Homeland Security to disable it. Even with the update, Homeland Security hasn't exactly given Java a green light. If you haven't yet downloaded the update, you should do so right now. Many websites use Java to serve certain content. The TechBiter Worldwide website does not use Java. We do use JavaScript, and despite the similarity of names, Java and JavaScript have nothing in common. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website to the Java site where you can download the latest update. Java is owned by Oracle, and the company issued an update that it says fixed the flaw described by Homeland Security. That flaw allowed criminals to install malware on users' computers, and Oracle strongly recommends that all users obtain the update. Now, normally, that would be the end of the story, but the Department of Homeland Security isn't convinced and says that unless users must run Java in their web browsers, it should still be disabled. A private security firm, Immunity Inc., points out that the Java update fixed only one flaw, Another remains. The fix makes deploying malware considerably more difficult because criminals would need more extensive knowledge of Java programming and they'd have to couple the attack with another flaw that's unfortunately fairly easy to do. I have updated to the latest version of Java, knowing that another update will soon follow. Depending on your level of comfort, you might want to consider disabling Java and then re-abling it only when you encounter a site that doesn't work without Java. InfoWorld has a detailed summary by Woody Leonard that explains how to disable Java, and you'll find a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. As Woody says, as it turns out, it isn't quite as simple as you might think. Google Maps Street View continues to expand, and a picture of a donkey lying on its side in the dust on a street in Quenang, Botswana, led to charges from people who are somewhat challenged when it comes to the science of motion, common sense, and psychology. So, of course, the charge, which claimed that the Google Street View car hit the animal and killed it, went viral. Fortunately, and fortunately for Google, that is, the super-wide-angle cameras on Google's Street View cars see not just the scenery, but also the car. When Google creates the Street View images, the car is, of course, cropped out. But Google keeps the wide-angle images. As soon as the image started getting a lot of play, Google announced that the Street View car had not struck the donkey. 
But the science and logic challenged folks who saw the picture of a donkey on the ground in Botswana were not going to be dissuaded from vilifying Google, and they, of course, refused to believe it. So, Google brought out the big guns, which in this case turned out to be big photographs. Kaikawa, a group project manager for Google Maps, posted the images that show the car passing by the uninjured donkey. According to Kawa, the donkey was lying in the path, perhaps enjoying a dust bath, before moving safely aside as our car drove past. I'm pleased to confirm the donkey is alive and well. So not only were the conspiracy nuts wrong about the death of the donkey, it lived, and its injuries, there weren't any, but they also were wrong about the fact that the Google Street View car hit the donkey. The animal stood up and walked away. This can clearly be seen by the image taken from the rear view camera. But of course, that's not going to really stop the story either. Last year, just three days prior to Facebook's initial public stock offering, General Motors gave the old opt-out to Facebook. But now, it's beginning to look like GM will once again begin running paid ads. According to the San Jose Mercury News, the company's interim head of marketing, Alan Beatty, says that discussions are underway. The newspaper quotes Beatty, We're still actively talking to them and looking at opportunities that come our way. I wouldn't tell you that there's a Mexican standoff here. We just didn't see the value in the ads. GM was spending about $40 million on its Facebook presence, but that included work done by GM staffers and media agencies. Facebook realized only $10 million from the deal. And, you know, I really hate it when only $10 million are in the same sentence. The Mercury News says that Beatty declined to discuss the current talks or to provide any possible timing for GM's return to Facebook. In the interim, GM still has fan pages. No fees for those, though. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.